think you got a. What's going on? Welcome to Unapologetically Black Male, where we talk about surviving the stigmas, standards, and systems. I want to give a shout out to my co-host, EJ Stewart, to our sponsor, Jay Pope and Associates, um, your mental health, uh, a mental health association, where if you're in need of any counseling, therapy, couples counseling, anything you need, just reach out to Jay Pope and Associates, um, and, and they'll make sure they connect you with the right uh, person to help you with your um that help you with the things that you are struggling with at this time. I want to take the time to introduce our guest on today, um, Dr. Chris, Ro Dr. Christopher Rogers. Um, I'm going to allow him to kind of give a little bit of background about himself, on um, what he does, where he's from, um, and what particular career path that he's in um, right now. Then we'll kind of follow up with some questions. So, Dr. Chris, it's on. It's on you. Yeah. Thank you, Pete and uh, EJ. Thank you for having me uh, today. Uh, it's definitely a pleasure to, to be with you all on uh, Unapologetic Black Male. Uh, just a little bit about myself. Um, grew up in uh, West Baltimore, um, Emerson Village, and um, went to high school. Uh, actually, prior to high school, I went to a public elementary school, Lenhurst Elementary School, right up in Emerson Village. Uh, then I went to a couple private middle schools. Um, from there, I went to Dunbar High School, where Pete, yourself, and uh, <laughs> me, where, where we went uh, played football together. Absolutely. Uh, Port Pride. Uh, Absolutely. Dunbar. So I played a little bit of basketball also mm -hmm. um, in my uh, in my earlier years at Dunbar. So that was a that was a great that was a great uh, a great a great time in my life. I really enjoyed myself. Um, going to Dunbar, I, I was, I started off kind of studying maybe like a dental assistant type of um, a nursing assistant. Then I kind of was like, oh, you know what? I, I then I realized, you know what? I didn't even need one of those certificates to graduate high school, so I just kind of mm -hmm. left it alone. <laughs> and so I just went ahead and, and made sure I completed high school. From there, I went on to Coppin State University. Um, man, it took me seven years to graduate uh, college, but mm. you know, I, I hung in there and I did what I was uh, supposed to do by making sure I get that education. Um, from there, um, it was really at the time of Coppin State University where I really learned more about public health. When I grew up, it was all about you know, being a nurse, being a doctor, mm -hmm. lawyer. My mother always worked at Johns Hopkins University, so I kind of knew type work that she did, working around a lot of researchers. But I didn't really know anything about public health. And so it was really during my second stint, because I went to Coppin for three years. I took a break, and I went back for another four years. It was really during my second stint where I really came to understand this field of public health and become knowledgeable of public health. It was also during that time, where I rededicated my life to Christ, right? And so faith is also a big part of who I am. And it was through that rededication of my life to Christ where I really began to really tap into my sense of purpose, like who, mm -hmm. I, who I am and realize that, hey, for me, ministry and my secular career are intersected, right? They are one for me. That, that's not for everybody. Some people, they, they have their secular job and they also do their ministry thing. For me, it, it was it was intertwined. They were like one. And so really became to pray and understand about my purpose. And I found out about this field of public health. 
health policy. And I really began to really study exactly what it would take for me to enter that field. And so once I graduated from Coppin, I got my first entry-level job as a community health worker uh, working in Baltimore City with underserved residents, making sure they have access to social and healthcare services. And I started to, uh, then I went on to get my master's in public health from New York Medical College with a specialization in health policy and management. And it was all kind of during the time when I was coming out of Coppin and transitioning into uh, New York Medical College where I realized that, hey, in order for me to actually uh, continue to excel and ultimately get where I'm trying to go as far as my career, which is being a black male, right, having a seat at the table, being mm-hmm. able to make decisions, being able to, dis- to drive decisions, being able to be that thought leader when it comes to public health concepts, public health programs, policies, and things like that, I realized that a PhD was going to be key for me in order to continue to progress. Mm-hmm. So being a being a um a working being a at that time I was single father, but I'm, I'm now married, happily married, and being a single dad with kids, I needed a program that could fit in with having to work full time, having to take care of my kids, and still having that family, uh res- that family support that was necessary. Mm-hmm. And so I found uh, Seton Hall University. And so I applied to Seton Hall University for that PhD in health sciences program. I was accepted and I did my PhD at Seton Hall University in health sciences with a specialization in health professions leadership. And my dissertation there was really focused on how do healthcare providers better provide um, self-management care for older adults who live in underserved communities. And so how can they modify, adjust their workflows, adjust the way that they deliver healthcare to really minister or meet the needs of uh, the older adults in underserved communities. And also during this period of time, that's when I, I, I was, I had a dream, I had a vision. I was realizing I was called into ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. I was called to, to preach the gospel and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. My father um, is an ordained and licensed minister. I have a number of ordained and licensed ministers in my family. So I believe it was just a matter of time before I realized uh, my calling to ministry. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of during this time early uh, when I early in my copying years where I was licensed as a minister and then about uh, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago, actually it was about two years ago, I was ordained um, mm-hmm. into, I was ordained as, as a minister. So for me, you know, my faith and um, my my career, uh, they, they intersect and they kind of are central to, to who I am in addition to my family and, and me as a father and as husband. Awesome. 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 Thank you for sharing that. So I, I know I want to go back a little bit to like the education break, like how you went for three years and then you t- took a break and went back for the, you know, additional time. Like what was, what was the motivating factor for you? Like, and, and what caused you to kind of stop that first time? And what was the motivating factor for you to get back into it? Yeah, man. Well, you know, I, I I'm, I'm that person when, you know, people, uh, especially who saw me grow up, me and, you know, adults, my mother's age, her friends and things like that, who say, 
wow, I can't believe what God has has done with your life. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I was that person that was, you know, out there, you know, cutting up, doing me, you know, not taking it seriously, um, doing my thing while I was, I, I, I always did my thing over here, but went to school over here. Gotcha. Because for me, <laughs> education, I saw education as the key. And so no matter how many times I had to take anatomy and physiology, right, which I took. I took part one like three times. I took part two like <laughs> two times, right? No matter what was going on, I made sure that I was connected with school while I was out there doing doing my thing. And so, um, and, and that's really why, why I took a break because I was just, you know, school wasn't for me at that time. I, I, um, I had uh, two more kids. Um, I had my first child when I was 16 in high school. Right. Wow. I was in I was in high school. I think I was the first person in my class, or maybe the second person in my class. I think my buddy, I'm not gonna say his name on him, but he <laughs> had his daughter before me, and then I have I had my son. Uh he know who he is if he listened to this podcast. <laughs> I was the second person in our class to have a child in high school when I was 16. So I've been raising kids for so long. And then I had another two come along on my third year in college and was cutting up. So I had moved away. It just wasn't, it, it wasn't, it, I wasn't serious about it. Gotcha. And so it was really during that time where I began to really, again, have that encounter with my faith, right? Mm -hmm. And have that encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I realized, you know what, man, things ain't working out like, 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 like they should be. Um, you know, you know, everything I, I, I touch it seemed like it, it was failing mm -hmm. and, and I knew that there had to be a had to be a response and for me so for me personally I realized that nothing I do would succeed without um, humbling myself to the Lord Jesus Christ and making sure I follow him and do what he would have me to do you know there are people out here that can be successful without that relationship I, I, you know that's what they do but for me personally my conviction was I need to get right. And so it was during that time that I need to get right. And I started beginning to uh, making myself, well, not making myself, I began to get right with the Lord that I began to realize that I had need to go back to school to get my education because, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't trying to be broke. I wasn't trying to be broke. I wasn't trying to be struggling. I knew that I could contribute to society. I knew that I had this calling. And so for me, education was the key in trying to get back to cop. And cop was, for me, the HBCU, that was where it was at. Hopkins, I couldn't get into Hopkins. I had a grades for Hopkins. Um, I lived over West Baltimore, so I knew about cop. And I didn't really know too much about Morgan Towson. That wasn't even on my radar. So all mm -hmm. of your other universities in Baltimore, Maryland, UMBC, I can't get into none of those schools. All I knew was that, I kept a good enough GPA for copping where I forget what they term it, but technically I did not have to reapply. So mm. my GPA was like a, I don't know, man, it was like a 3.0, 3.1. I think I was like 0.1 away from having to actually reapply. And so to cop it, which would have been a whole nother struggle because I would have had to take in a test. I didn't have to do the whole thing over again. And so for me, it was like a no-brainer. Let me just re-enroll and just keep going. Man, you, you touch on uh, so many different uh, things that make this show what it is, you know. Um, and, and, you know, 
the purpose is to to highlight you and give you the flowers as they say man because for you to have gone through that and persevered you know just an undergrad to then go through mm -hmm. a, a phd because man i mean so many people get to that level and don't finish for such a long time and you've already had a struggle with finishing undergrad that that's amazing man and, and kudos to you for that for sure I, I, I appreciate that. It, it definitely requires a, a strong getting through a PhD program. It requires a strong um, family support, especially mm -hmm. if you you know have children. You 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 marry. You you working. Um, you know, wife support. My kids understanding that you know, daddy had to study long nights and <laughs> had to miss things, traveling mm -hmm. back and forth. Um, um, to New Jersey, um, just just really keeping my eye on on, on the end goal, which, which really you know, like like you all are doing here, you know, you have an end goal to bring this inspiring message, you know, to 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 the world, and so you know, let's persevere, do what we need to do to make sure that we make make that happen. Um, uh, and, and, and faith again was also all a part of that because I can see God's hand guiding me throughout the process opening up door giving me favor introduce me to this person relationships man is also mm -hmm. critical was critical to this whole process um relation healthy relationships are important to um, achieving success in this world because we can't do it by ourselves right mm -hmm. and nobody regardless of what you say Nobody want to work with somebody who nasty and mean and, and can't get along with, right? <laughs> like, True. If I can't get along with you, I ain't trying to work with you, right? And so I had a um, I had a good mentor too who I met at Coppin. He was on the board of regents at Coppin, and uh, he was a, a black physician executive at a hospital in West Baltimore. Uh, I, I gained favor in his sight. He put me under his wing and also helped to guide me along but he he pulled me in his office one day and he said um he said chris i hire people for what they know i fire people for their behavior mm -hmm. and that right there has stuck with me since early in my career that we can find great people with good technical skills right we can mm -hmm. find people who know how to edit this this video right this, this, that that you all probably want to edit afterwards right we know how to find people who can uh put it put together a strategic plan but if somebody is not good to work with their behavior they don't know how to act like i ain't trying to work with you i can go find somebody else could do the same exact thing who I can get along with. And so relationships has been key, just building the right relationships and knowing how to work with people. We call it emotional intelligence has mm -hmm. also been critical um, to, 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 to me being able to be successful in my career um, and what I do in public health. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I, as a African-American, just kind of uh, achieving the ranks of undergrad and graduate and then get your, um, your PhD, like what are like where where would you say you experienced the most kind of like why is he here or uh, almost like the stigma like do you even belong here did you come across anything like that where it kind of felt bleed or just you know the subtle types of things that we get when we come into a room and they don't expect us to be there 
Yes. I, I, I think that that has mainly come um, from, I, I won't probably say specifically what particular <laughs> institutional location I've been working in, but it has probably come more so in the middle part of my career. Um, hmm. I think now with the doctorate PhD and the experience, um, individuals will challenge you professionally. You're like, mm -hmm. right, they'll, they'll try to dance around the edges. But uh, they, as a PhD, you, you learn how to right, defend, because <laughs> right, we got to do a defense. So you learn how to really strongly defend your positions with solid reasoning and solid evidence. And so at, at, at the level I am at within public health as the as a um, public health officer, mm -hmm. um, I'm able to apply that logic, reasoning, and evidence to really drive change, whereas, I mean, really, you can't really argue with me, right? Mm -hmm. But we can really come to some type of compromise. So at this at this point in my career, I spent a lot of time negotiating. Mm -hmm. That's really what I spent a lot of time doing, like negotiating the best policy, negotiating the best program to really uh, meet the overall goal that we're trying to achieve as far as health outcomes, et cetera. It's not a really a lot of no, you can't do no mm -hmm. because of your color. No, it's like, how do we negotiate? I mean, so in early middle of my career, people would be like, look at me like, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like you, like I don't, it probably was a combination of race. Pride was a big factor. Um, mm -hmm. I had somebody tell me like, you know, PhD is like your black card. You just kind of lay it on the table and people have to honor it. But that comes with its responsibilities, and also mm -hmm. you have to you have to be wise with it. You can't use it arrogantly. Um, you also have to make sure you prepare before you go in meetings. Make sure you've done your homework. Make sure that you again um, realize that it, it's about a common for me. It's about a common good within society that we are trying to achieve and that we have to share ideas, come to a consensus and things like that. But I, I've definitely um, experienced some pushback, et cetera, perhaps because I may not have had the level of education such as a PhD, but also being a man of color. Um, I definitely have experienced that. And you just kind of, but the, but the thing about that is that on the other side, not necessarily on the other side, I've always had supervisors who may not look like me who supported me, right? Mm -hmm. And so who where they not only supported me, that we both were on the same page as far as what the ultimate outcome is for the program, for the organization, for the initiative. So when I did get that pushback from some, perhaps someone of the opposite race or ethnicity, I just go back to my supervisor who may or may not look like that individual and say, Here's a challenge I'm look. Here's a challenge I'm experienced. Here's a barrier. Here's a solution. Oh, by the way, we both agree on this solution. So once my supervisor go tell a person that, you said the same thing I just told you. Like, why does he or she got to tell you same mm -hmm. thing that I just told you? And you are 
are, are having confidence in their response versus me. And I just told you the same thing. That's how you know when you're coming up against um, like racial <laughs> bias, et cetera. When the person who you report to don't look like you tell a person that you're working with the same thing that you just told them. <laughs> like, come on now. That, that That's crazy. Man, you, you, you know, it's been a common theme on this um, podcast of similar challenges, you know, and you, you, you nailed it, man. I mean, immediately I started like, like, like D was probably thinking, you know, as a man, you know, finding that balance. Cause you talked about the emotional intelligence and physically already, we're kind of already working from a, a, a place where people we might be threatening because we're bigger or we, you know, we, we don't look like them and you nailed it, man. You, you talked about having to, to navigate that. And, and, you know, where did you find that wherewithal to, to know how to find that balance and navigate those relationships? Yeah. I, I think for me, everything kind of, for me, drives back to my sense of purpose and belonging. Right, kind of exactly, you know, why am I here or why am I in this position in this particular season, uh, surrounded by these particular individuals? Um, and how does that relate to my overall purpose or direction or the purpose in which I am striving for, which is ultimately to improve the lives of others? Right. And so I um, I kind of dig deep and really look within there and leverage the relationships around me and to uh, really. Well, let me kind of pivot here. I also really embrace the servant leader, um, servant leader kind of model where I'm really, even with my employees that report to me, or really, you ain't got to be my employee, if you're interacting with me, the question I'm really asking is, right, in our relationship, how can I serve you, right? How can I minister to you? How can I make sure that I am meeting your needs, helping you to advance your overall um, goals, your overall development, and so that we can ultimately accomplish what we're here to accomplish, which is, the betterment of society with respect to public health ministry, souls, soul saving, et cetera. And so I try to embrace that particular mindset as I balance or as I navigate relationships uh, within my uh, professional and personal life. That's awesome, man. I mean, it, 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 I, I can't say it enough. It's awesome. Um, talk about, you know, the sacrifice and the struggle of being a parent and being a leader of the home and having to sacrifice what was that like you know i know you you leaned on faith but what did you feel what did you think and what would you give advice to others on how to get through uh man priority setting for me i I tell people that um one thing that really one thing that did it for me is when I moved from East West Baltimore to East Baltimore. <laughs> and so I grew up in West Baltimore, kind of left all of the stuff behind, had a new change of scenery, right? And so, um, and so for me, 
having to manage a family and having to manage school and work ministry, it was really about priority setting. So putting some things behind me that's no longer a priority and begin to focus on those things that are priorities. So your your kind of your schedule becomes very succinct and very clear. Um, and so I also learned how to turn the TV off, right? And so I learned how to again put away, put put aside things that weren't a priority. So it was a long period of time in my life. I call it during the wilderness years, where for me it was really about waking up making sure my kids make it to school on time, going to work, picking them up, going to class, right? Well, actually picking them up, giving them snack, doing homework, going to class, right? Bathing them for bed and then studying. Like that's what it was about when I was a single dad. That, that, that was my day for, man, I don't know, five or six years. Like that's all I was doing. And then there was a point where um, God brought me a wife. And so I inserted, or we were dating or courting during that time. And so I inserted her into my schedule because she became a priority. But not only that, she became a beneficial priority because uh, she was able to help me with my children. And then once I got married, it was like, oh man, I got to help me right here. And so things began to begin a little bit easier. So that, that, that was a good portion of time where I was just, again, waking up, getting the kids ready for school, dropping them off, going to work, picking them up, feeding them snack. And um, once that is done, I, I do homework with them, feed them, go to class, do my homework, and just do that cycle over and over again. So just stand focused on my priorities because I knew the end goal was ultimately that I knew my purpose and my purpose was kind of to get where I am at today. And I'm still shooting for additional things that the Lord has in store for me in the future. So I'm constantly assessing my priorities and time managing that and, and, and really leaning on my family for, for support. I mean, that's awesome right there. I mean, as, as especially with the purpose piece, just kind of knowing where you, where you want to go. Um, and just even though when you get there, understand that there's still something else for you to do, because oftentimes we get to a certain point and we become comfortable and we become, you know, kind of like we come comfortable and stagnant. It's like, all right, I made it. I'm good. I don't need to go nowhere else. But to have the idea to, to the, the desire and the wherewithal to say, all right, I reached this point. This was just another mark. But there's something else more for me to do. Um, it's definitely a, a major um, enlightenment and just kind of major, you know, help to, you know, somebody who might be hearing it like, hey, you know, you, you got to get to a certain point. But even when you get to that certain point, it's always something more that you can kind of branch off and do. Um, and just that whole purpose piece is something that we struggle with, I believe. And this is my personal um, is something that we struggle with as African-American men because for so long we will find purpose in everything else. Um, until we get to a point where it's like, oh, I'm at, I'm at, I'm 40 years old and I'm still trying to figure out my purpose. It's never too late. You can still find it. You, you just had some learning experiences to lead you up to that point. Right. Um, but I think the more we can get to see uh, individuals like ourselves 
to kind of shift that mindset and just saying like, oh, this is all I got. This is all it's going to be. Um, but, you know, to shift it to say there's something more for me. I have a purpose out here. Um, then that's how we can kind of shift a culture and just kind of change the dynamic um, that we see on a day to day basis. So I, I appreciate that. And, and, and let me and I will also just say that um, being or not being complacent does not necessarily mean that. Um, I'm a worker at an organization and, you know, I don't have no desire to be a supervisor or a manager. So I'm mm -hmm. just kind of chill right here. Well, you know what? There's a, there, there, there's additional, uh, there's additional progress that you can make as a worker, even if you don't want to be a supervisor or manager, like Absolutely. what more can you contribute to, to, to your role as a worker? Even if you're okay with doing that for the next 20, 25 years, that's fine. We're not saying that everybody is called to be a supervisor, manager, or director, or owner, or CEO. But as the as a worker within your role, what more is there additional purpose that you can find within that particular role so that we can contribute to contribute to whatever our occupation or our particular role is? I think that's also important to mention because I don't want people to sit up to listen and say, Well, I have no desire to run the organization, so I'm fine just chilling right here. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that there's more within that particular role that I think that we can offer that we contribute. We kind of just do that introspective look. And then I think, I think we can, we can find that within. Man, you speaking to me, man, you are, you are <laughs> ministering to me, you know, uh, in so many ways, I, I always say, you know, being patient and not complacent. Um, but it, it's such a fine line you walk in and, you know, talking to you is reminding me of that regiment that I need to get back to, you know, and, and things that I need to do. And man, you know, there's such a lack of research in higher education um, specifically that speaks to the journey of a brother like yourself or myself or like or like D that have have pursued graduate degrees with a family, et cetera. And man, I mean, if this didn't come on time, I don't know what is. You know, because every night and day when I get everything done, I'm like, all right, I'm going I'm to get back to my proposal and come 11 o'clock. I'm slumped in the chair. I haven't done the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to, to hear, I think to hear your journey and saying it took me that long to do my undergrad and I stuck with it. And here I am. I, I think you are. I know for me, you you are hitting so many things that are so important and it, it it every time i come on here man it's just a blessing to to run into brothers like yourself and to that aspect saying everybody not going to be the boss and but but what are you what is your purpose that you find in yourself and what you're doing and that's so humbling man i mean i mean i couldn't i mean wow i couldn't ask for anything better absolutely man education is is education for black males like us who grew up in the inner city of Baltimore was really like all we knew. I know for me, like I didn't really know too much about being an entrepreneur or anything else. And today I realized that, Hey, you know what? There are some things that I probably could have done that I didn't realize, but nowadays with the access to the internet and all the information that we have available to us, we can couple our education, whether or not we choose to get a PhD or not, but we can couple our education. I mean, just getting a certificate is mm -hmm. critical, right? Something I'm talking to my 
my my my my 19 20 year old son right now about is man warehouses are good trust me i'm not trying to knock nobody for for working at a warehouse but if you understand your purpose and your potential go after that right if you choose to work at a warehouse that's fine but there's purpose and potential for you right there and and, and that's the point i was just emphasizing this and just and just mention that we want to make sure that within our current role in which we which we occupy how can we continue to find within us an additional drive to make sure that we are maximizing our purpose and our potential and for me i'm i'm talking to my sons and my wife we talk to our sons about that all the time is 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 as how can we achieve as black males our ultimate uh, gifts and abilities and not settle for 13 hours an hour, mm. right? That which, or 11 hours an hour, which is minimum wage and which kind of goes to some of the stigma and race racism and things that they want us to ultimately, that, that's what they want us to do. They want us to stay at 11,000 hours, mm -hmm. right? That, that's how they try to, that Amazon want us to keep getting paid 18 hours an hour to to deliver all their packages instead of us finding out hey how can we own our own business to hire other people to pay them 18 hours an hour how can we make how can we find out an entrepreneur opportunity where we're making 40 dollars an hour right and so these are the things we have to continue to kind of think about reassess in line with our purpose absolutely you touched on uh i, I do want to touch on this because i've been uh dealing a lot with this emotional intelligence. Um, I, want, I want to touch on that because I feel like we don't really talk about that a lot and we need to have it in order to succeed because it helps guides us to reaching that purpose and setting those priorities. So I want you to kind of explain emotional intelligence and what it means to you and how it has helped you in your journey. Yeah, that's a great question. I guess I'm going to start off with going back to the example that i said just in case someone may join the podcast a little bit late and didn't hear what i said mm -hmm. uh my my, my kind of one of my jobs early in my career my, my mentor uh when i was working at a hospital he he brought me to his office because i was having some emotional intelligence issues of myself mm -hmm. early in my career man i, I remember this i remember an undergrad at coppin man you know this was when my second stint this was back when i was into my second stint trying to get out of school mm -hmm. and i was doing my thing i was studying hard i was getting good grades compared to previous i had one of my professors a black lady she pulled me up after class and and she said she said you look like you step straight off the block and i was and i was shocked because man i'm getting all a's in her class like i'm mm -hmm. doing my thing like i'm i'm like i'm headed for success and she told me i look like i stepped straight off the block and that's when i realized that the image that i portray as a black man is critical mm -hmm. which also has to go with my emotional intelligence when my supervisor or the ceo of a hospital pulled me in his office and say and said i hire people for their skills i hire them for what they know but i fire people for their behavior 
which means is that our relation, how we interact with people, knowing what to say, when to say it, right? Mm -hmm. The type of attitude or persona that we have when we interact with people, our demeanor, right? How we, how we course correct perhaps subordinates or employees or our colleagues. So mm -hmm. all of these things matter when we talk about our emotional intelligence or our social skills, the words that I use, the choice words that I use, when to use them, how I respond. Some things don't require a response. Mm -hmm. Some things may just require us to sit and listen and say, mm -hmm, okay, that's fine. Um, if I have to correct the colleague about something that they said to me that's inappropriate, I have to make sure I'm doing that in a respectful, gentle, kind manner. Because, especially as a black male, because as a black male, when you encountering, um, when you encountering, uh, uh, especially females of other races, white females, Caucasian females, of other races, black men, we can perceive to be intimidating, right? And that that kind of goes to what my professor was telling me when she said. I look like I stepped straight off the block. I look like I was pretty much, I mean, I'm from West Baltimore. I'm I'm just doing my thing at COP and trying to make it, trying to make ends meet. And I'm realizing that, hey, how a female perceives me is going to be critical. So I may need to shave a little bit, especially in, 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 the, in the settings that I frequent in my public health space. It may require me early in my career to shape. Right now, I don't mind growing a beard. I look rough because I mean, my credentials speak to speak for me now. So <laughs> I, I can grow something right talk now. Talk about it. Talk about it. My 40, but <laughs> early in my career, middle of my career, a clean face was important because it looked the perception that I gave, coupled with my emotional intelligence for how I communicate with individuals. I realized that that was critical for me ultimately to continue to achieve and be successful and ultimately accomplish what God has set out for me to accomplish. And so emotional intelligence, social skills, being aware of how we interact and communicate with individuals, the, the words that we, that we utilize, our demeanor, our disposition, um, our tone, all of these things matter because if, again, as I mentioned earlier, if you nasty, people don't want to work with you. They always saying you hostile. You don't know how to talk to them. Like they're going to get you out. They're going to find a way to get you out of there. They're going to find a way not to promote you. They're going to find a way not to give you that contract. They're going to find a way to, to, to not do something. And so that's very, that's very key. Man. I mean, I, you know, I, I had to give kudos to, to my co-host man and, and, and the network of people, because every time, you know, I think this brother has found somebody, uh, you know, not not saying one person is, you know, outshining another man. But I mean, there's some dynamic brothers that, you know, are in your network and, and now my network, you know what I mean? And, and it's just it's amazing, man. I mean, you you, you hit on it. it. It couldn't say be said any better. I mean, it, it's it's amazing, man. It's amazing. And, and if no one has told you. You know, just meeting you for today, you have inspired, empowered, um, you know, anybody listening to this is going to take so much wealth from that, man. And, 
keep doing your thing, man. Keep doing your thing. You're Dunbar guys, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, I, I don't I don't know about that piece. Somehow we seem to keep getting you you guys, you people on here. <laughs> but man, it's it's awesome, man. It's just awesome. The best of the best. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not from here, you know, so I don't feel no kind of way. But I mean, it's, it's starting to become a thing, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just I'm just using my network. That's all. Using my network. That's awesome, man. Well, man, uh, Chris, I want to, uh, Doctor Rogers. Uh, let me put some respect on yes, your name. Yes, indeed. <laughs> put put some respect on your name, Doctor Rogers. I want to thank you, man, for coming on and blessing us and just kind of sharing your uh, your background a little bit about your history. And just like your, your educational journey and, you know, uh, you know, the things that you're doing as far as ministry and in the public health sector. Um, just want to say thank you. And we really appreciate you sharing your story um, and just, you know, joining us here on Unapologetically Black Male. Um, before we close out, I uh, just want to kind of, you know, say thank you to everyone who is listening. Thank you for chiming in. Thank you to my co-hosts. Uh, Brother EJ Stewart, thank you to our sponsors, uh, Jay Pope and Associates. And thank you, uh, Dr. Rogers, for joining us again for this interview. Once again, you can follow us on uh, social media outlets. Continue to stay tuned because we do, as we have air every Monday at noon and 7 p.m. So make sure you check out um, all our episodes. You can follow. You can also download the episodes on Spotify and Anchor. So once again, thank you for joining us here at Unapologetically Black Male. But we're surviving the stigma standards and system. Y'all have a good day.